Thanks for joining us for the Changing the Industry podcast, where we try to effectuate change for the better, one conversation at a time. Part of that change is providing help for those that need it. This is why we've partnered with the Institute for Automotive Business Excellence. Whether it's help with sales, operations, or just getting your numbers in order, these folks are some of the very best in the industry. And for our listeners, they'll sit down with you and go over your strengths, your weaknesses, and the opportunities that are in front of you. They'll create a customized plan for how to move forward absolutely free. That's right, free. And if your plan includes one-on-one coaching, they can also help you with that. There's no hard sales pitch, no obligation, just honest help from honest people. So if that's something that you think could benefit you, make sure you click on the link in the show notes. And now, on to the show. I remember how it used to be. The phone's ringing off the hook. Clients are coming in the front door like crazy. And here comes little technician Timmy. Timmy comes up and he says, hey boss, where's my part? Where you want me to go next? What you want me to do? Gosh, Timmy, if I knew, I'd tell you, buddy, but I am covered up. All of that stopped when I found Shopware. With Shopware, you get an industry-leading expediter right there in the software. It tells you if your parts are here, where your technician should go next, and how much time they have left to complete the jobs in the day. Go to GetShopware.com to learn more. GetShopware.com. Hey, everybody. David here, and welcome to the ASOG Podcast. In this episode recorded live at Apex 2022, Lucas and his technician Terry Jackson are joined by Murray Voth. Murray is the president at RPM Training and one of Canada's most knowledgeable experts on the automotive industry, especially as it relates to business development of the independent automotive service and repair sector. In this conversation, they talk about whether or not independent repair shops should be charging more than the dealership. If so, why? And if not, Why not? And what's the mindset behind their answer? Before we get started, make sure you have a set to automatically download the latest episode. And do us a favor, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Make sure you check out our new content on YouTube. And now, here we go. Tell me about yourself. Well, my name is Murray Both, and I live in a small town called Naramata, British Columbia, up in Canada. Very which is cool. About four hours west of Vancouver, which a lot of you guys will probably know, just north of Seattle. Right, right. Um, 1986, car wash attendant. Okay. Cashier at a convenience store gas station. Okay. Doing research and development for a group of investors who wanted to buy more service stations. Right. Ended up running my own within a year. Right. Didn't do very well. I resemble that remark. <laughs> Met a wonderful gentleman by the name of Bob O'Connor, uh-huh. who uh, really led the way for me for about 13 years as a coach. Right. And uh, I already uh, did some public speaking and other contexts in my personal mm-hmm. life. So I started doing uh, dealer development, as they called it, for oil companies. Okay. At the same time, as owning my place. Okay. And then, as will happen with some franchises, we parted ways. Right. And I reached out to a Canadian training company that I'd been a customer of and said, hey, you got a space? And that's 17 years ago. Really? And uh, they disbanded uh, a few years ago due to some health reasons and stuff. Yeah. And I started RPM training uh, four years ago. 
That's so cool. So, and it's just going crazy. Well, you know, after Bob, yeah. uh, you know, uh, Jeff Compton is a good friend of mine, and mm-hmm. he's in Canada, and and he points out like there's not a lot of shop training in Canada. No, very very little. It's um, there's some. I've got some good competitors, and and you know, I'll point people in their direction if people want to know. Right. We lost Bob Greenwood. Uh, yeah, last that hurt, buddy. Man, because he was he's the granddaddy of it in Canada. I yeah. mean, I was reading his articles when i opened up like and that kind of stuff we became friends when i formed rpm training right um but yeah there's as far as i know there's uh four companies maybe right 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 so yeah we want to get the word out i'm expanding i've got two shop owners that just sold successfully really and uh they're gonna become one's gonna be part-time coaches well one is in Arizona right now, and his wife won't let him come back to work yet. <laughs> but I bet him, I've bet him that he's going to be bored in about a year. Right. So need something to do. So yeah. Uh, yeah so we're growing. You know, I'm hoping it's managed growth. Right. Um, and uh, attracting more people there. You know, learning some new tools like COVID yeah. just opened up the world for online. Right. I was already doing a couple of online groups for remote shops, like people in northern Canada that travel was a lot of money. Yeah. Um, so I was pretty dialed in on Zoom and coaching, but man, it just we just ramped it up, turned the whole thing online. That's crazy, and and so I, I know, and it it's affected so many aspects of our industry as a whole. Yeah, right. Like yeah. It, it's nothing like we've seen before, right? And and think about if that had happened ten years ago, what a different experience it would have been because we had online payments, we yeah. had DBI, yeah. we had the ability for them to look at the repair oh order and approve God. it online. Could you imagine that happening ten years ago? Right. That was, and the fact that you know, I was first introduced to DVIs. Let's say for 2014, I think I went to seminars and, and yeah. sat in on training from the different brands that were coming right. out as a coach, just to get a feel for what's coming on the marketplace. My leading edge shops were into it right yeah. away. Um, but I tell you that contactless service was amazing because the consumer. Yeah. There was a segment of the consumer that was like. Right. Where has this been all our lives? Right, and they're still they're still doing it. I know two shops that haven't reopened their doors. Really, everything's done. Drop off keys through a secure box, pick up keys in, right. a, in a lock box. Advisors all email, text, or phone. Right. But imagine as a service advisor not having any interruptions. Oh, I know. Nobody right? dropping off a retire repair. Like everything's done, booked, and it's attracting a better client. Yeah. Right. People who are professionals who don't want to sit around and wait for their car. They want to exactly. just help them. And then right. you add pickup and delivery. Yeah. Or full valet. Like, I got two guys delivering courtesy cars right. to the person's house, right? Meeting them wherever they want to meet later on at the end of the day to swap right. back. And get the other car back to them. And then, However it works. And, and it's, it's just crazy. You know, we, we talked with Mike Allen about that a little bit yesterday. And yeah. he was sharing his experience. And he was saying, hey, listen, you know, we ran into this deal where... And, and, and he talked a lot about why he ran into the deal, right? And, and he said, I got absolutely hammered on next door. And he said, what it was is that they ran oil change coupons. Mm. And he said, we ran a really cheap oil change coupon. It drives a lot of people in the door. I don't like oil change coupons. He oh, knows that, right? Okay. Um, uh, <laughs> but he, you know, so he runs these oil change coupons. And he said, look, he said, some consumers, he said, there, there's no way around it for him. He said, you know, you put five or 600 people in a shop. He said, there's going to be some of those that aren't your client. Mm-hmm. And he said, so I'm running these oil change coupons. We get into a situation where, if they see their estimate, they think they've been ripped off. And he said, we, 
you know, you've got three shops. It's hard to maintain that kind of coverage to where everybody's doing what they're supposed to be doing, when they're supposed to be doing it, saying it the way they're supposed to say it. And he said, so, you know, you present the estimate. Some people who don't have the money to pay for the, for the repairs are going to say, man, they're trying to rip me off. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so Lucas and I have been telling you about parts tech for a while now and how it gives you access to unlimited parts and tire vendors and direct integration with over 35 shop management systems. And now they've just launched a new referral program. All you have to do is open your parts tech account, go to my shop, and click on the rewards tab. There you'll find your referral URL, which you can share via email, text message, or on your social media. If your referral signs up for a new account and places five orders in the first 30 days, parts tech will send you a $100 gift card. That's it. Nothing else is needed. Your referrals can get you $100 just for using parts tech, which by the way, is absolutely free to get started with. So if you're using parts tech already, start sharing that referral link. And if you haven't signed up for parts tech yet, what are you waiting for? Click on the link in the description or go to partstech.com forward slash podcast. That's partstech.com forward slash podcast. Hey, one more thing. If you find out that your shop management system doesn't integrate with parts tech, it's time to upgrade. David and I use what we believe to be the very best system on the market, shopware. With unmatched features like parts GP optimizer and DVX, which is their digital vehicle experience, shopware really is way more than just a shop management software. With it, you'll be able to create an immersive and interactive experience for your client, setting you apart from everyone else using run-of-the-mill software. Are you ready to upgrade? Click the link in the show notes to get started. That exploded on him online, right? Oh and boy. and so it's about finding the right client. So much. You know, and we talk with, with Brian and Kim Walker all the time. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, yeah. marketing is not about finding the client. Marketing is about finding the right, right. client. Oh, 100%. You know? So let yeah. me ask you this. There, there was a post in ASOG this morning. I want to get your feedback on it. And he says, uh, his name's Robert Morton, good friend of mine. And he says, let's talk customer retention rates. I was doing some quick math real quick, and I was estimating 65% customer retention. I found some reports and found my true customer retention rate is 34%. So what is a good or bad retention rate for the industry? And, and what do we do? What are some tricks to get to that good retention rate? What do you think a good retention rate is? Oh, my goodness. So you want to know that this is one of the least measured things in right. our industry by anybody, by the software companies, SMSs, by coaches. Right. Because the data isn't set up to actually do reports that are easy. Exactly. Do, right? Yeah. So I'm actually working. This is going to be like, uh, not spitballing, a little bit better than that. But right. best practices for my observation is 70% retention. Okay. Okay. Um, so 30% churn is a term I like. We churn 30%. Okay. I've read data. This is probably five, six years ago that the average, and this is Canadian shop, but a lot of it translates, mm-hmm. loses 10% of their database due to things outside of their control. So this okay. is a death job right. transfer, right? So these are not the employee screwed up, service advisor screwed right. up, or, or a comeback, right? So, right. That, so that's 10%. So then if that number holds to be true, then there's this 20% churn. Why did the people leave, right? So right. they bought a different car. They were dissatisfied. Different things are happening that right. way. I see higher than that. Um, you know, the fact that he's got whatever number he came up with, he shouldn't be discouraged because right. I know a chain that I worked with a long time ago, their retention rate, like a franchise chain was 11%. Oh, wow. And this was the couponing chain. Right. Right. Or a couponing chain. Right. Right. So I'm so passionate about this because 
there is 60% of North American drivers are looking for several things. One, a relationship with the shop. Okay. But what do we talk about? We talk about price. Yeah. They're looking for contactless service. That's, there's a variations on that. But like, for example, they're looking for the ability to make an appointment, a appointment request online. Okay. They don't want to get into your software and say, I want two o'clock. They just right. don't want to call you and get put on hold. They just want to, right. they want to go to your website, type in name, card, concern, send, advisory emails back so they can email while they're working and set right. up a time next week to drop off the car. Right. That's, that's what, and they're willing to pay more. And, and they want DVI. They want right. d- digital estimates sent to them. And then the ability for, for online or phone payment, right? That, there's a chunk of people, that's what they're dying for. And what are we right. doing sending out coupons for price? I'm so passionate about this. Right, right. Well, and I, I'm like, the same way. And, and like, Matt, uh, Mike's also very passionate about flat rate. He thinks that's the only way to pay people. But I, <laughs> we won't go there. Well, well I, we can, we, you know, I'm happy to talk to Mike or anybody about that. But if I could just put my two cents since you got me here. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, I believe that every human being... Is, incent- it, uh, is motivated by different things. Yeah. And it's not yeah. always money for everybody. I do believe that there should be some skin in the game. Yeah. I do believe that there should be some sort of incentive. I should think it should be simple and short term. Okay. Wait to give somebody a bonus after a year. Nobody, they don't remember what they were supposed to do to get the bonus, right? Right. So, right. I, so, so on the same page, I understand human incentive to a degree, but I believe the flat rate system as it evolved was a way for management to offload the problems of productivity and efficiency yeah. on the backs of the technicians. Yep. As a, as a means to manage their cost. When you actually put somebody on flat rate and you're done for the day, the person leaves, you go, oh, good, I only paid them four hours, I'm okay. Guess what happened? You had four hours left that you didn't fill because you didn't exactly. do your marketing. Exactly, it's lazy management. Right. It's lazy management, thank yeah. you for saying those words. That's what yeah. I feel it is. I, right? I agree, right? And yeah. and and now, now Mike brings up the fact, he said, look, he said, I believe you should pay them how they want to be paid, right? So in his defense, I'll give him that, right? Like, yeah, And sure. he said, I've got guys who want to be paid flat rate, yeah. right? I've yeah. got guys who want to be paid hourly. Yeah. And, and he, he runs a fairly big operation. Yeah. So I guess I can understand that to a degree, right? Well, and, and guess what? I bet you half of my best coaching clients started off in life as flat rate dealer tax. Right, yeah. <laughs> but they got that, they got that. That thing, that, right. that that drive, that hunger, and they did really well at it. They did. They made right. good money at it. And you know, when I talk to them about the the uh, the dishonesty and the, like the stuff that yeah. goes on at dealerships, the flat rate creates a lot of ugliness, right? Yeah, and the, it does. The backstabbing and the and the that you right. know, the lack of team and stuff like that. They said, I just put my head down, and did my thing. I just ignored the rest of it because right. they're honest, ethical people. They right. just happen to be good techs and figured out how to do it faster. And guess what? They went into business. And 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 you see so much of that. When they've yeah. got the drive, right? When somebody's yeah. got the drive, there's yeah. nothing that will stop them. Exactly. Right? It's yeah. your personal drive to do something more, to be something better, to be. Yeah. And and I think part of that is why they we see so many techs turned owners and they come in with no training. And I think that's a lot of the reason we see guys paying flat rate is because that's what they knew. Exactly. Right? And so they yeah. just did what they knew to do. Exactly. And and even then, I've, I've got some guys in the group that, that I talk to sometimes, and they're like, oh, I'm paying you know 50% of, of my labor to the tech. And I'm like, Whoa. you can't, like, if maybe if it's loaded. Is it loaded? No. Oh, God. But even loaded, right. that's a little rich. Right. You're not making any money. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, and, and so I, I think there's a lot to that. Now, the other side of that, and, and you know, just the other day, there's this huge discussion going on. And we talked about it in an in a episode yesterday. Do you know who Paul Danner is? I'm aware of him. Danner, Scanner, Scanner Danner. Danner. Scanner yeah. Danner. Yeah. Good friend of mine. Really awesome dude, right? Yeah. And so um, we, we've been back and forth for a couple weeks now 
over some things that had happened in, in one of his videos. And somebody was saying, hey, if you can't diagnose my car in one hour with all your advanced technology, you better get the F off my car. Don't touch my car. Right? This was a, this was a, a car, a public car owner. Yeah, like a, exactly. Yeah. Commenting on a video he made. And so I, I basically said, he said, how do we stop this? I said, we stop, right? We don't, we don't allow this behavior anymore, right? Mm-hmm. Because the consumer, yeah, maybe there's, there's a shop for that consumer that he can go over there and they'll take care of him and they'll do and say mm-hmm. what he wants to hear yeah. and serve him the way he wants to be served. But it's not going to be in my shop, yeah. right? He's not going to be happy in my shop and there's no reason for him to be in exactly. my shop. So we go back through this and I said, you know, in some ways, I think we have to call the industry, right? Like there are some shops that probably shouldn't be working on cars. Right. And I, I was interviewed the other day and I, it was for uh, it was for Wired magazine. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, she said, do you think that the technology that's coming into the the automotive space is going to make it more difficult for automotive shop owners? And I said, oh, yeah, uh, I, I don't think a lot of shops should even be working on cars. And she said, what? Yeah. And I said, I don't think that a lot of shops should be working on cars. She said, when, when the new technology hits, I said, no, now. Yeah. And she said, what do you mean? I said, they're not fixing them properly now. We're worried about this technology. Let's fix now. Let's get right now fixed, right? And so Paul brings up something. We talk about flat rate, and this kind of resonates with me. But he says, we have another huge problem. Most shops are part changers Mm -hmm. with no real lead diagnostic tech. And these shops are the ones conditioning these customers about how little value diagnostic Mm -hmm. time brings them. How do we fight that? We're eating ourselves alive with these bad calls from these code reading part swapping shops, which are the majority. What do you think about that when you hear that? I agree with them. Um, My tagline for my company, RPM training, results, performance, mastery, one shop owner at a time. And I'm just battling this one shop owner at a time. (laughs) Right, right. Right. But, uh, you know, if we talk in in a bigger scheme of things, if we could if we could just get that audience somehow, even part of the audience and explain the value of that we've done a couple of things we've changed the language from diagnostic to testing yeah um i forget who explained this to me and it was launched i overheard from somebody that the first shop that changed all the language from diagnostic was a shop in chicago i don't actually know if that's true but the the word diagnosis right if you think of a doctor right i go to the doctor for a series of tests to get the diagnosis the diagnosis is a noun it's the end result of a process so when we use that word, we turn it into a verb, diagnosing, the customer's like, well, I'm not paying for that. Right. The answer. But as right. soon as you say, sir, for your concerns with your car, for the warning lights that are on there, we're going to need to do a series of tests. Right. Right. We're going to have to go through the software. We're going to have to do, visually inspect the sensors. So we have to go through a series of tests. The total for that series of tests to find that your concern is going to be yeah. $175. Would you like me to proceed? Well, all of a sudden, they're like, okay, you're doing tests. Okay, so right. now you're doing something I'm paying for. They get that. Right. Right? So part of it is changing language okay. around that. Of course, there's the whole idea of charging properly for yeah. it because if you're yeah. not selling any parts, there's no parts gross profit. Now your testing rate's got to be at a higher rate. Right. right? Absolutely. Because you're, you're yeah. literally mm-hmm. losing money. Exactly. And, and yeah. so if, if we find ourselves in that situation, because I, I think flat rate even plays into this a little bit, right? Because... Here's what I'm hearing, and and hear me out. I'm talking to a lot of technicians, and they say, look, I work for a dealer. I I work for a chain shop. I work for whatever it may be. And they come to us, and they say, I'm going to give you 0.5 to diagnose this problem. Yes. And I go back, and I ask for more, and they say no. Yes. And they say, so, as opposed to doing that, it is the only way I can survive to say, hey, instead of testing, I'm going to take my very best guess. 
I'm going to do a better job at guessing. And Terry even said that yesterday. Terry works for me. Terry worked for a chain shop. And Terry said, look, you got to get good at guessing. Because mm-hmm. if not, you don't survive. Right? right? You can't pay your bills. Yeah. And so is that, does flat rate play into that? Or is oh, that a totally. management style? I, I think flat rate pays into it. I, I think the, the owners of the shops, the advisors don't know how to present the value. So then they default to that. Right. But I do think it, I do think that culture comes from that flat rate dealer dealer mentality right and it comes from the factory managing warranty labor right so right. there's this always this top down the technicians are a cost the technicians right. are trying to rip us off they're trying to sell warranty you've got auditors checking up on us and that filters back all the way right. up to the retail side of a dealership right and the, that, mindset, the right? mindset the right? mindset so then is the advisors see no value in what the techs do right and so so here's a role play that i do all right now i've got clients who do testing for new car dealerships okay not just trade-ins. Right. Like literally a GM dealer will send a GM car to an aftermarket shop. Right. To figure right. out. Okay. Yeah. We, we, we deal with okay. that too. You guys yeah. do, right? Now, here's one of the role plays that I, I, I made this up, but it's just right. from conversations, okay? Client brings the vehicle in, got this concern. Says to the advisor, how much? Well, right. it's a flat rate shop. Advisor goes to the tech and says, how long? Right. Technician says, what you going to give me? Because a flat rate tech won't start until he gets the time. Right. What are you going to give me? No, how, how long? What are you going to give me? How long? Service manager overhears that and says, screw it, sublets it out to the independent shop. Shop charges them 189 service manager puts 30 points on it, and charges the customer, and the customer right. pays it and leaves. Right. Right? Yep. So so here's another story that just, and again, I'm, I'm over 60, and I learn every day. Right. So there's a fantastic guy and his and his employee walking around the show right now, Mark LeMay and Jordan. They're right. uh, they're uh, uh, mobile diagnosticians in Canada. Okay. Right? So they have Jordan's on the road. They go to shops. They troubleshoot. Right. They do testing for a fee. Right? Right. That's their whole business. Yeah. That's right? what they do. They bought all the scan tools. They got all the factory stuff. They got everything. Yeah. Right? Just leading edge guys. Anyways, so I said, what do you charge a shop? He said, well, we have fee structure, blah, blah, blah. Right. And so one of his fee structures for a basic 60 hour is like 189 Okay. And these are charging all these shops that are the plug and play guys, right? Who right. don't have the lead guy. And I said, so what do these shops do? Sell it for the same price? I says, no, they mark it up 20, 30 points. I'm like, so a shop who couldn't sell testing right. on their own <laughs> is happy to charge two and a quarter, 250. It's just all day long. And Isn't said, that crazy? Said, so this is my learning curve. I says, Mark, I don't, I'm confused. I said, he says, Murray, it's so obvious. He said, because I guarantee it. Right. right. When you have confidence in a product. Yeah. You'll sell it for anything. These are the same guys that'll sell four thousand dollars with the ball joints and brakes with no fear. The minute a check engine light comes rolling in the door, they're trembling. So, you know, I guess my question is: is what caused that? So, I, I, as a shop owner, I see a couple of things. Right, yeah. I, I think that I can easily see that over time. You, you have that mill effect in the shop. You have that churn yeah. and you go through guys and, and sometimes you get that flat rate tech that came from the dealer that was supposedly a master tech and you figure out really quickly that mm-hmm. a master tech and the dealer is a completely different experience than yeah. it would be yeah. in a in a uh, independent shop, right? Yeah, like exactly. he's working on one brand, he's doing pattern failure fixes, he knows, right? And so you hire this guy and you get gun shy after a while, yeah. right? Because exactly. you get bit. Yep. And so in the same respect, why is he like he is? Well, he wasn't paid to learn. He was there was no incentive to learn. There was no incentive to be better. There was no incentive to be a better technician or to be a better diagnostician. No. What what was the point? Well, like I'm not going to get paid. I'm not going to His incentive was to figure out how to solve the same problem over and over again faster so he actually right. made a bit of money to take home and pay his bills. Exactly. Like, I'm not, I hope everybody understands listening that we're not criticizing technicians of at all, not. Lucas, right? Like Absolutely I don't want not. that to ever come yeah. across for Murray. Never. 
it's rarely ever the technician's fault. Yeah, we've all right. had the one bad apple. We right. I get that. Yeah, of course. But they're all trying to figure this out, right? Right. Well, and I, I guess the thing is, is that in a lot of cases, the system's built against them. Totally. Right? The system is built yeah. against them yeah. to the point that there's no reason, there's no incentive, there's no game yeah. in it yeah. aside from, hey, I just got to get paid. Exactly. Right? And yeah. so then we bring them in, in, into an independent shop. And we're working on really complex cars. And we're fixing problems that the dealer can't fix and won't fix. And, and you know, I, look. It pisses me off every day. It really upsets me because I see these guys come into ASOG and they're like, hey, I'm, I'm setting my rates just below the dealer. And I'm like, first of all, why are you setting your rates based on what somebody else is doing? Because you don't understand their financials. You don't know if that exactly. number is an accurate number or not. You're guessing, right? Exactly. That's literally guessing. Yeah. And then second of all, you're working on a car the dealer won't touch. You're doing things the dealer won't do. And you're bringing a whole level of of expertise that the dealer doesn't have. Exactly. And so we're going to start with that. And then we're going to add to the fact that you do not have their resources. So the tooling that they get at a discount, the service information yeah, exactly. that, that they get bonuses for. You don't have a car dealership, a new car and a used car dealership next door that's offsetting your cost for your facility. Exactly. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Right? No, and never, you're trying to compete with that? Never mind the fact that the guy saw your number on call display and told you whatever number you wanted to tell you. Right. Exactly. <laughs> right? Like, ah, oh, we're 125. And it, the same thing with parts. Right? right. I, mean, I was laughing the other day because this guy's like, uh, I, I made a comment and I said, you know that dealers mark up their parts, right? And I was like, list means nothing to them. And he said, no, no, no. I went to the dealer and I bought a part the other day. And while I was there, I saw an invoice and that invoice had a part on it. And it was exactly what list was. And then a few minutes later, somebody makes a post and he's like, I'm picking up parts at the dealer. And there's a pack of uh, Duralast silver brake pads on the counter, right? Yeah, he sold you a set of silver brake pads that he paid $7.99 for, but he yeah. billed you their dealer list for it, which was $149.99. Exactly. You better know that they play games, right? Totally. It's not like the shop owners think that the dealers are, are the gospel, right? Yeah. Like, it's not, but I want to. I want to just, if I could, Lucas, talk about my generation is the cause yeah. is the cause of this. Oh, okay? I'm going to take some blame. Okay. Right? So I'm an old guy. I'm a garage guy, service right. station, 25 right. years operating. You know, car wash, convenience store, gas and bays. Yeah. Right. That was my career. They don't already exist anymore. Right. Right. Um, and so a lot of training by old companies. Customers always right. Customer service. Customer service. Cars were way simpler in the day. Like in my early early days, we stocked right. six oil filters. Three starters, three alternators, because yeah. we just, right? Like, right. we could quote from the hip. Exactly. Whatever, right? Yeah. And so, you know, I still have this vision of Earl, great friend. I'm still a friend. He's retired now, but great technician. Um, you know, Chevy showing up, carbureted Chevy showing up, talk, you know, goes to talk to the client, opens the hood, takes off the air cleaner, snaps the throttle, takes out a screwdriver, makes an adjustment, snaps the throttle, puts everything back together, and it's all running smooth, right? Right. Customer says, How much do I owe you? And he says, No, don't worry about it. Right. And I would have, I never blinked because I would have done the same thing. Right. Now, imagine those people that are listening that know about carburetors. How long does it take to learn carburetors? You can Amen. adjust them by ear. 15 years of experience. Yeah. Right. So yep. then along comes the first check engine light. So we bought the old brick scan tool yep. and yep. Uh, the old prom things on the old cars and all that kind of stuff. Right. I remember and, that. Uh, and I got to tell you, Earl taught me some really cool things. So we were back in the day of tune ups, right? Every year, you got yeah. spark plus cap rolled to the whole right. bit, right? And we competed on menu pricing, like oil changes today was. Four cylinder, six yeah. cylinder, eight cylinder tune ups, right? right. People would watch the pricing and, oh, your tune up's $5 more. Just still right. the craziness, right? Well, one of the things that we discovered is you could do a tune up and the car could still run rough. Right. Didn't solve the problem. So, what we did, because Earl was such a good tune up guy, we actually asked for authorization for an additional hour of labor on top of the tune up. Okay. In dollars. We didn't talk right. time. Of course. To customers, of course. Right? So, 
back in the late 80s, early 90s, we were $100 more upfront for a tune-up than all of our competitors. Right. Now, if we didn't need it, if the tune-up solved the problem, then we took the, the, the hour off. The bill, right. 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 But we had it back then. That's the kind of confidence I had in Earl. Right. Okay. First car comes in, check engine light on. We should have booked it in for a tune-up and an hour. Right. Right. Which we should have done. You know what we did? Customer says, how much? I looked at her and said, what do you think? He took the scan tool, walked out in the parking lot, plugged it in, said, came back and said, yeah, probably this, probably that. You do that 20 times in front of 20 customers, guess what we just taught them? We taught them that's normal. We got a magic wand. Yep. Right? So I'm sorry, everybody. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Yeah. We have a whole history here of this industry. Back to service stations, historically, because fuel is a commodity, we commoditized everything. Right. Right? Right. I... We used to do services back in the old days. I had an uncle that had a service station. Right. Full. It wasn't an oil change. Grease all thirty-two grease fittings. Right. Washing, washing, vacuum the car, change the oil, the filter, all that. Forty-five dollars in nineteen seventy. Yeah. And then some idiot turned it into an oil change and put it up for eight ninety-five, and then and it was downhill from there. Right. So how do we fix it though? I mean, well, what, what what is there? Because the the problem is, the way I see it is that that there are so many people and and. Maybe I know the answer to that. I want you to answer, and I'll tell you what I told Paul. Okay. I want you to answer what you think the solution is. H- how do we begin to, to, to turn the tide of that, right? Because it's not sustainable. Let's be real about it. And, and you well, know, I, I was talking, you know, I told you about the Wired interview. And I told yeah. her, I said, look, I said, this is not going to be sustainable in 10 years, right? Because the, the, the guy in his home garage, the guy in the little shop that doesn't have a scan tool, we're really quickly getting to the point that the amount of work he can do is so small that it's not even reasonable to try and do it. Yeah. Right? He couldn't even earn a paycheck doing it. Yeah. Well, several of the solutions involve society, but I'm not going to go there. <laughs> <laughs> Come on now. This is that kind of show. You can go society. Well, well no. We, we Modern economics have put a place where, where a family uh, needs two incomes to, to have a yes. reasonable lifestyle. Yes. You know, my father-in-law came from Eastern Europe. Worked as a laborer his whole career, paid for a house, had two week vacations on one yeah. single income. That's back impossible. In the day, right? Nobody it's can impossible. do that. All right. So car ownership is now this big ticket item in people's lives, and they they don't understand it. It always costs the money and stuff like that. So that's that's an issue there. All right. All right. I think if nobody gets involved, what's going to play out is there's going to be a few shops standing, and they're going to be at two hundred fifty three hundred dollars an hour, and right. everybody's going to be driving rattle traps. There's going to be a few guys. There's still going to be the people that help. Backyarders actually have a place. Okay. Right? Right. I used to get mad at backyarders okay. when I had my shop. Where's their place? Their place is taking care of all the people that can't afford to get their car fixed. <laughs> they take them away from me. They're the coupon right. shoppers. Yeah, you got a backyard in the neighborhood. I give them all that work. Right? They can have it. Yeah. If they figure Not that they can pay their bills with it, so they right. have a place. Right? Okay. They're the social workers of our industry. Right? Okay. They can hold that. those people's hands. They can do the jobs for half price. And, and if I'm, they mess and it I'm up, thinking, then we'll just fix it for them. Well, there's that too, right? <laughs> but I'm doing a bit of tongue in cheek. But let's be real here. But let me step back the other way. I think a lot of it's just mindset, which is tough stuff. You guys, you guys know yeah. this, right? Yeah. At some point, you and I will talk personally about your history because I've been watching you, and I know right. that you started off as a shop owner. And you've obviously had some revelations that opened you up, and yeah. now you have a blinking podcast for God's right. sakes, right? Like, right. I've lost track of how that happened, and I, you know, right. I've just been falling. So we'll talk about that in a little bit. But I think mindset is. Getting people to understand the value of their time, never mind the diagnostics yeah. and the equipment and the rest of it, right? Standing up for themselves and value. Yeah. Stopping the dysfunction of the expectations of the clients. Yes. Right? So Amen, it's, it's buddy. It's the same thing that Amen. we do in good family relationships. 
We got okay. a child that's misbehaving. We've got a brother-in-law that's misbehaving or somebody's right. treating us badly or bullying, whatever. We stand yeah. up and we say, that's inappropriate behavior. Right. I will not talk to you Amen, if you talk buddy. to me that way. So we're just going to turn around yeah. and we're going to teach shop owners to, to have boundaries and create boundaries right. and stuff like that. Because here's what's also happening that they need to know is you spend four hours arguing with that guy. Yeah. There's three regular clients that watch that happen and wish you had time to talk to them and they just left to right. to the next shop because you exactly. didn't have time for them, right? So I'm watching my clients now. They're so relaxed and they're so happy because yeah. they're working with good clients. Right. And they actually are shocked when they get the odd one sneaks in. Right. Right. Yeah, that absolutely. Fit the Happened this morning. Happened right. this morning. I right. got a telephone like, call. How did that person actually get? And and one star Google reviews. If I may digress momentarily, um, I re- get reached out to every once in a while about how to reply to a one star. Right. Um, I say first of all, just sleep on it for twenty four hours and yeah. take a deep yeah. breath. But ninety percent of the time, I tell the shop owner that client or that should be customer should be the word or that car should have never got in the building exactly you did not qualify there was a right but i'm also changing my language i used to use the word qualify the client Mm -hmm. i now use the term qualify the client's expectations yes yep so you would like me to have this car done by two o'clock this afternoon with the best quality parts for the lowest possible price well i'm sorry sir i just will not be able to meet that expectation today right the best I can right. do is get you in for a preliminary set of tests to actually identify what's going on with your car. And then after right. we've identified that, we'll give you a firm estimate on what that vehicle needs. We always defer to best quality first. Right. We'll give you an estimate on that. And then we can have a discussion on whether quality is important to you or whether price is important to you. Exactly. Would you like us to proceed on that basis, sir? Right. And a lot of times those customers are just like, ah, ah, blah, blah, blah. Because right. they've never spoken that way before. Exactly. So they either, they either walk out the door swearing at you because you're, you're a scam right. artist. Or they're like, oh, somebody just created boundaries, and I recognize. You know yeah. what? Let's talk. Like they, yep. so, so here's the other thing. We also have to be compassionate to car owners. Yes. Yes. Right? Absolutely. Let's just talk about the 80% that are just right. good people who are scared to death about what's going on with their car yeah. and how much it's going to be. Misinformed. Kind of Misinformed. You know, yeah. They got their Google mechanic license um, right. and all that kind of stuff. It's just what they want is people to listen to them. Yeah, I'm, I'm associated with an, a, some work in Canada. They're doing a lot of research with consumers, and 36 percent of the driving public says the service advisor didn't hear me, right? Didn't listen to me. Yep, right? they 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 heard you speak, but they did not listen right. to what you said. Yeah. the The biggest problem right now is that my car stopped. Um, I don't have a way to get to work. Right. And so the first thing is, is, sir, is there a way that we could get you to work? Right. How can we oh, serve you? Oh, my goodness. Yep. Right? Oh, but my car is like, uh, I don't want to abandon it. I'm going to get ticketed. Well, are you, uh, are you a AAA member? Oh, right. Yeah, I forgot. Like, yeah. the person is so stressed out, they've actually forgotten how to actually do right. a broken down car. Right? Exactly. Like, I, I yeah. actually used this example with one of my clients in an email this week. I taught all my children right. what to do if you're in a car accident. Okay. Right, there's a our yeah. insurance company in Canada had this form and taught it to my children. If you're ever in an accident, doesn't matter whose fault it is, get, get your contact info, share insurance papers, right? Do that whole process, right? Exactly, yeah. My oldest has never been in one, my middle one has never been in one, my youngest right. has been in three <laughs> or four. <laughs> now, he's a good kid, he's a good driver. Only one was kind of his fault. It was a, it was a rapid stop, he got rear ended, but right. the rapid stop was for not paying attention. All the other ones were not his fault, he got right. hit. He was the only calm person of everybody in the scene until the cops and the ambulances got there because right. of the training. Because exactly. there was a process, right? Yeah. Calm. 
a lot of consumers don't have never experienced a broken car or it hasn't been yeah. a long time. They don't know what to do if their car right. breaks they're, or if it they're stops. Afraid. They're, they're afraid, right? Yeah. So as an advisor, if you understand from that perspective, put yourself in those person's shoes, yeah. right, it, it, it helps them out. It, it, the key is, is you have to seek first to understand. Totally. Right? And, and that, that, is, that is so much of what, what I've learned, right? We're talking yeah. about my journey. Is is to slow down a little bit yeah. and to listen. And, and you you said something. You were talking about what sleeping on the the one star review, right? Yeah. I, I will never forget some of the best advice. And and look, I know people say things about his political beliefs, this, that, and the other. But Warren Buffett has given some really good advice over the years. He has. And so there was a video from where he was interviewed on Yahoo for some financial thing, and and Yahoo later went down and took it down, and it pops up from time to time on YouTube. <laughs> And they said, what was the best advice and what was the worst advice you've ever been given? And he, he named uh, Tom Murphy. And he said, he was talking to the interviewer and said, you know, you know who Tom Murphy is. And she said, dude, and said, um, you know, Tom Murphy gave me the best piece of advice that I was ever given. And she said, what was it? He said, you can tell him to go to hell tomorrow. And he said, you know, Warren, it's your decision. You make that decision on your time. And when somebody's trying to make you make a decision or you feel an emotion to make a decision, it's a good sign to stop making that decision right now. Wait. Yeah. And and when you sleep on it, what are you doing? You're seeking to understand before yeah. you respond. Yeah. We're emotional creatures. Exactly. We respond with emotion. We act with emotion. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the best thing we can do is wait. Yeah. Take a pause before we respond. And it's the same thing with consumers, right? And so, you know, this morning I get a call from an, uh, my advisor. And he says, hey, I need to talk to you about something. He said, I've had a client come in. He approved a repair yesterday. Everything was fine. I explained the process to him. But this morning he came in and he was unhappy with the price. And I said, okay. And I asked the client's name and we talked for a minute. And uh, he said, you know, I, I, I let him know in, a, in the nicest way I knew how. That if he didn't want the evaluation, like this is what we do, this is the product we provide, completely understand if you don't want that, but we're not going to be the shop for you if you don't want that because we have a professional obligation to not mm-hmm. only the motoring public, but our consumers. Yeah. And this is what we do. Yeah. Right. This is how it works. And so we're talking about it and we go through the whole nine yards and I go back and I look up the client and I go through this process and I'm like, ah, I call him back and I said, this is somebody who's been doing this for however long mm-hmm. and, and he said man I, I, I was so upset about this and I was so worked up over it and I said right because you used emotion yeah. right if you'd gone back and done some research you would have seen this as a trend yeah. this has nothing to do with you yeah. right yeah. and I, I can't remember what it was in it was it was a, a motivational speech it may have been Zig Ziglar right you know, <laughs> yeah. Zig. oh yeah and and I, I think it was Zig talking about that and he said uh, who's talking about the, the lady in the coffee shop that yells at you when you say miss could I get a cup of coffee and he said can you see it has nothing to do with you yeah. somebody yeah. has already kicked her cat something's yeah. already happened that's exactly. set this in motion yeah. you gotta understand Understand what set it in motion. Mm-hmm. And then if you can't meet that expectation, if you can't move that expectation, that's one thing. Yeah. But if you just get upset about it and you yeah. don't, you know, if you don't <laughs> slow down a little bit and you respond in that emotion, what's going to happen? Exactly. Boys, you're going to end up in a mess. That's going to backfire. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I, one of my favorite books of all times, how to win friends and influence people. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and the number, so they, they made one and I, I shared this book with the, 
the barber in the barbershop over here the other day. He says, I want to start my own barbershop. I said, there's two books you got to read. You got to read The E-Myth. Yeah. And I said, I don't know, agree with all its principles, but there's yeah. some really because good information. It's a foundational book. Yeah. yeah. And I said, then on the other side of that, there's a um, How to Win Friends and Influence People. And he yeah. looks it up and he says, dude, this book was written in 1938. <laughs> and I said, yeah, it's still valid today. Exactly. And so we start talking about there's a modern age book. And I don't know if you've read that or for the internet age. If you read that book, it's got this list at the very end of it. And it's a list of all the times that somebody said something without thinking about what they said. And it destroyed their life, right? Like, oh it's just a goodness. list all the way down the line. I've never heard of that. Yeah. And, and he goes through in this book and they've got like note after note after note of this one celebrity that said this and didn't think about what they were saying. Yeah. And it influenced. It yeah. created turmoil in their life. It was yeah. so cool. Yeah. So where are we going? What What are we Oh my goodness. What's the next step? So I've been following your, the one group I'm part of, uh, I was allowed to be part of, um, starting an auto shop, starting an auto shop Mm -hmm. and I'm seeing pain. Yeah. All right. Uh, I'm seeing excitement. I'm seeing fresh new, new faces, naivete, um, what I've realized following you is that I haven't spent enough time and Lord help me, I don't know where I'll find it, but right. listening to texts on the ground. I do a lot of to- owners on the ground, but not yeah. a lot of texts on the ground, which maybe what I'll do is I'll just, you be my filter and I'll, I'll get stuff from you. Um, and I, I think what we need to do, and I think what you're doing is brilliant, is we need to reach people before they yeah. get too deep, I think is one of the first places. Now, I was going to make another point about uh, listening to all these uh, all these folks is I think the biggest thing that a person can think about is what is their intention Mm -hmm. with starting an automotive shop. Yeah. Um, And I think the intention should be to create a business. Yeah. Right? To create wealth. And I I use wealth in the sense of there's not greed involved. I'm talking about creating a legacy. You know, when you have money to send your kid to college or to send your kid to a trip to Europe or whatever... Right, you're already your kids are already further ahead than another family that can't do that. Right, so that's right. what I call wealth. Yeah, it does, you don't have to have. It's not necessarily bags dollar of gold bills. in the bank, yeah. right? Yeah, um, but having that kind of wealth. So the idea is, is is setting that intention. You know, I'm not going to do this to fix more cars. I'm not going to be the guy to help more people. I'm not going to be the best person to solve everybody's problems. Right. Will that all be part of what I do? Yeah, of course, that's going to be part of what I do. But the goal at the end of the day is understanding. What are my costs going to be? What's my gross profit required to actually pay yes. that? Have a net required. Making a decision not to make a net in the first year, but being very conscious of why you didn't make a net, exactly. where the money yes. went to. I think if we could get a hold of people. Oh, here, here's the point I was going to make is we as coaches talk a lot. I'm part of the camp yep. bunch about how we've attracted the top 10, maybe 20% yep. of the industry. And we, we just find that we can't break out of break that. Out. Yeah. And I just... Gave a, we, we, we talk about it all the time. Think about it. Now, I've just realized most of my new clients I've got recently have come from parts company trips. Yeah. Yeah. From one owner talking to, to another, another owner, owner. Yep. and saying, you got to go talk to Murray, yeah. Vic, uh, yep. Cecil, whomever, right? Absolutely. These are, you know, so sponsored, you know, they, they saved right. up money. They're on a cruise. They're in Cancun, Mexico. Right. And they're talking around with drinks. And right. they're like, and like, how do you know that? How do you know that? And so that's where I'm getting my people. So we need shop owners to tell shop owners, and then we need techs to tell yeah. techs. I, you know, that, and it's that, and I don't know how we're going to do that, Lucas. But but that's the vision. Well, so so I, I a good friend of mine's Chris Messer. 
Ratchet and Wrench. Right. And uh, we were talking the other night. Uh, it, it wasn't the other night. It's been a month ago. And we're sitting around talking, and Chris said, you know, I asked him, I said, how many people attend training? He said, eh, 15%. Wow. And I said, 15%? Are you sure? And he said, oh, I'm talking about like pizza party trainings, you know, after work trainings. That's included in that. Oh, my word. And I said, are you sure? And he said, yeah. I said, uh, what percentage? And he said, I, I don't know what percentage attends an event like this. Yeah. I'm going to tell you, I think it's less than 5%. Yeah. I think, And I think here's something else I'm going to tell you is, and, and while it can be flattering because you know everybody at a show. The reality is we see the same people over and over right. and, and over again. That's what we coaches talk about, right? Yeah. And so Paul Danner says, how do we fix it? Right? And I, I'll tell you what I think. I think he's already doing what he needs to do to fix yeah. it. I, I think that it comes down to putting the information out there. Yeah. Making the information available. And I, I'm going to tell you something else. So, and, and I've told this story a couple times this weekend. And, and the reason being is there's a lot of things that have been on my mind lately. And I'm talking about these associations and I was coming back from Cecil's um, and I was on a flight from Salt Lake city to Charlotte, North Carolina. There's a man on the plane sitting next to me. We didn't talk the entire plane ride. And his name's Dave Garrison. He reaches over and he says, Hey, you know, my name's Dave. Nice to meet you. And we start talking. And Dave is a C-suite coach for fortune 500 companies. Right. And we begin to talk, and I share my journey, and I share that I've got a coach and all these things. And Dave takes a napkin and begins to draw out the curve of a successful business, right? Oh, my. And he's a brilliant man, right? And when you hear him, and I, I, he sent me a white paper. We've, we've talked back and forth, and, and he's a very, very intelligent man, right? And, and he, he said something to me. And I've got a screenshot. I'll show it to you. Sure. But it stuck with me, Okay. And he, he says, you have to have three things for predictably, and the key word being predictably, extraordinary results. And he said, that's the same thing with every one of these giant corporations. And he said, you have to have a compelling purpose. Mm -hmm. And I think about these associations, and I think about these groups, and I think we have a compelling purpose, but we've not compelled it to our people. Exactly. Right. Mm -hmm. And he says, you've got to have empowered people. And he's got some other things on here. I'll let you look at this. And he says, and, and here's the big one. Right. I was I was in an industry dinner last night. He says, you have to have aligned actions. Mm -hmm. And I look at this and I say, we've got one organization going over here. Exactly. We've got another organization exactly. going over here. We've got another organization yeah. going over here. Yeah. And while we have a compelling purpose, which is we want to help shop owners, we want to help, help technicians, we want to improve our industry and make it sustainable for the yeah. next 40 years, yeah. our actions are not aligned. Exactly. We're yeah. not moving in a forward direction because we're not aligning our actions. We don't have a direction. So there's what Dave sent me. Oh, my goodness. That's powerful. Isn't it, though? And yeah. I, I've got it saved on my phone. Yeah. And every couple of weeks. Are you free to share that with me? I'll share it with you, yeah. Goodness. I, I'm That's sure he's powerful. okay with me sharing the yeah. white paper with you, but I'll, I'll oh. double check. But yeah, make sure you check. I mean, this, uh, but but you know, you you've raised a couple of things. So number one, camp, right? A group of competitors are yeah. beginning to collaborate. We, we've talking and, right. and working together. So it's the beginning, right? We've been together for a while. Um, I'm sharing a booth with a competitor at the thing, right? Drastic right. of Shop yeah. Coach. He's using some of my material in the states, right? You know, we, we're we're having a, an alliance, a collaboration. Um, Shout out to the Canadians. We had Canada night last night. 
Right. And uh, it was so wonderful to see. And it, it's kind of sponsored by a large organization called Automotive Industries Association of Canada, okay. which is a federal group. Yeah. But there was two provincial groups there. Oh, wow. Um, and the one provincial group, which wasn't talking to the federal group years ago, mm-hmm. has a relatively new director. Right. And everybody's playing nice and talking nice. Oh, that's and awesome. I got to see them have talking and got involved in that conversation, right? Right. So there's now... Kind of like your state and federal, right? Yeah. Prevent provinces, right? So, so that I saw that. But here's here's a concept I like to pass on to people. If two people tell two people, and then those two people each tell two people, right? In nineteen iterations, yeah, only nineteen generations of that. That's a million people. Exactly. Yep. And right? that's how you change your industry. <laughs> yeah. That is the steps yeah. you take. And, and so yeah. you look at somebody, you know, and, and I can understand when I look at Paul Danner, right? He reaches millions of people. Oh, my goodness. He has such yeah. a following. Yeah. And, and so I can understand when Paul says, man, I don't feel like I'm like, I don't feel like we're improving. I see all these problems. It's because you're at the focal point of the problem. Yeah. You're seeing the problems because you yeah. know what the problem is. The people underneath you, they don't understand what the problem is. They just know you're providing information that's making their life better. Yeah. Right? And so because you see the problem, you're going to focus on it. You're going to know it's there. Yeah. You're going to recognize it. But every action the man takes is improving the industry, just like you. Yeah, exactly. Just like Vic. Just yeah. like Cecil. Just exactly. like Rick White. Yeah. Every single one of you are taking steps that's making it better. Are we going to see it overnight? No. 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 It's going to take time. Right. But – but important shifts in anything do take time. And when you look back and see um, how much better it is, we have to take be yeah. grateful for the, for the wins and things yeah. like that, right? Um, I, I just, I guess the part of me, and, and maybe I got to talk to my clients about this is, I mean, you've woken me up a little bit, to be honest with you, because that, that watching those posts go by, I work with the top 10%. Yeah. And I've gotten kind of comfortable. Yeah. And it's very rewarding. Right. To see the net profits right. all through COVID, right? My yeah. guys all, right, successful. You know, three guys, beautiful succession plans, sold, sold their shops. Right. Um, you know, two more in the wings of that kind of stuff. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, I think I got to go into the mud pit a little bit. Yeah. I don't know how I'm going to do that. Maybe just with you and, and talking right. to more techs and stuff. Um, but I, I also think that we need to think about I understand that there's 225,000 aftermarket shops in the States yep. and we're 20,000 yep. or so. Well, what's 10% of 250,000? Yep. That's 25,000. Yep. Right? Absolutely. That's 25,000 profitable shops. That's it. Highly That's paid it. techs, highly paid advisors. And, and right? what does it do? It influences. Yeah, exactly. So right. I think we got to celebrate too. Yeah, we do. Right? We're, so, we're and, doing good. And here's the other thing is... There's actually a chunk of shop owners who are actually doing fairly well yeah. that have figured it out through other sources yeah. that have never heard of coaching before. Yep. So I got one new client of mine who met a again he yeah. met a, a, a friend of mine at a at a on a cruise. Right. He's been in business ten years and he's relatively profitable yeah. and successful because his uncle has a plumbing company and is his mentor. Yep. Knows how to run a business. Yep. He got the business principles. That's it. Doesn't right? even matter if it's, so he's if never it's met. exact. He, in yeah. 10 years of business, the, the parts company he buys from is never associates right. with coaches. Like, right. You know, for, you know, you know that Napa does and you know that yeah. different companies have 
have affiliations, like of course, you know, CarQuest yeah. and, and and WorldPack have affiliations, right? This one particular brand in Canada has never ever gotten into that and doesn't plan to. That's right. not part of their business model. It's not right. a criticism; it just yeah, is what it, it is. just is what it is. Yeah. And so Trevor says, "I've never heard about this stuff." Right. Right. So there's a lot of guys out there that I think are doing okay. Right. And they're we're not on their radar, and and Danner's not on their radar, or maybe he is technologically. Right. Um, they've got a good mix of clientele. Yeah. And they're doing okay, and I think because they're doing okay, they're not paying attention to yeah. what's going on out there. Yeah. And when you, but when we get a hold of them, they actually ramp up the fastest. Yeah. Anybody? I Absolutely. Well, you and know, yeah. Here's the thing: is we did a video a while back, and it was talking about a shop that did 1.4 million a year, and he he sent us an email and he said, "I'm broke. I don't have yeah. any money. I can't pay my bills. Yeah. Like this sucks. But I'm doing 1.4 million a year, right? Yeah. And and you know, I mean, we. We know what the answer is, right? It's yeah. pretty easy. Like, yeah. you, there's only a certain set of numbers we need to look at. We already know the answer. Like, yeah. somewhere in one of these five numbers is the problem. Is the I problem. guarantee you. Exactly. You don't even have to ask, right? Yeah. And so, you know, in, in the same respect, I've got a really good friend of mine, and and he's been going through this. Like, I, Brian, I'm sorry. I'm going to call it a midlife crisis. Uh, <laughs> you know, he's been going through this midlife crisis, and he's like, I don't know if I want to stay here. I don't know if I want to continue to do yeah. this. Um, the They expect me to do all of this crazy work. They expect me, you know, they come to me at 4 o'clock in the afternoon and say, I've got a six-hour job. I need it done by 5 p.m. And he's like, it's yeah. not possible. Like, yeah. you can say you want it all you want, but it doesn't yeah. I mean it's real. And I, so I've been on to him. I'm like, A, as a technician, you set the expectation, right? Yeah. If you continue to get out here and kill it, as a boss, man, I'm, I'm going to keep feed, feeding you. Right. Whatever you want. Whatever you want. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Yeah. Right. So there's part of that. But then on the other side of it. Right. And and I think we've created a division. Right. I think there's a division between technicians and owners. And, and it's not so much from the owners and it's not so much from the service advisors. I think the technicians feel like we're against them in some way. Right. Yeah. What, what do you think? I don't know. I feel like you guys are against me. Uh, I think there's sometimes just a disconnect right. between the two. Like, I see something from one perspective, and then, you know, the shop owner or service advisor sees it a little bit differently just because we're separated, if you will. Yeah, but, I mean, we got a different kind of relationship in our shop. That, too. So, uh, maybe let's look at this from 10,000 feet up. Right. Okay. Technicians, for the most part, care about the vehicle. Yes. That's their focus. That's their skill. That's right. their knowledge. That's their curiosity. Service advisors generally care about people. Okay. They're people people. Right. right. Shop owners care about profitability. And I'm saying that, again, in a positive, profit is good. Yeah. Right. These are not greedy Absolutely. bastards, whatever. Right. Profit's not a dirty word. Not a dirty word. And then the customer cares about two things, their money yeah. and their time, their convenience. Yeah. Right. So when, when, when their car is not available, time is of the essence. Right. right? So now think of the tug of war that is taking place. I have one person whose best interest is the car. Right. I have the advisor whose best interest is the person. I have yep. the owner whose best interest is profitability, and I have the client. Imagine the tug of war that's happening. Oh, yeah. yeah. So I think part of the disconnect is the fact that we need to get the four parties to be on the yes. same page. Absolutely. And when we meet Absolutely. that, right? Because the yep. technician says, I need another half an hour, and the advisor says, I can't call that person back at that half hour. I already called them twice, right? Yeah. And the technician is like, what, are you a chicken? Or like, because it's a real legitimate problem with the vehicle, right? right? right. So it's, it's a matter of finding ways to do that. But back to your owner tech thing. I mean, I, <laughs> one of my clients now, shop mm-hmm. owner, very proud of him. He had a record month right? last month. 
Ryan. Started out with me as a gas jockey at 15 in 1989. Holy cow, that is so cool. So I have to pay him dearly not to tell a lot of stories, right? Right? <laughs> Listen, no. I'll coach you for free, just don't say that. <laughs> right? And, and I mean, and Earl as well, like he's still a good right. friend. I mean, they would call me out on things because I would lose my, I would lose my focus. Yeah. My yes. expectations, again, back to they're so good that you think they walk on water and then now you just keep that going forward right and they, well no I don't walk on water you just gave me something that I need a bit of time to think about or whatever so there's, there's a little bit right. of a piece of that there um, man I, man, I, this is such a good topic I, and I guess all kinds of stuff bubbling around in my brain but I, I think it was the the owner got so caught up in the business side and those distractions we took we took the technicians for granted yeah I, I agree. think so there we go we took them for granted I agree. There we go. I, I agree, one hundred and ten percent. Yeah, and and um, until until you set realistic expectations mm-hmm. as an owner, yeah, right. And and so that's what's happening in my friend Brian's case. Yeah, right. Is that he set one expectation, the owner took it for granted, and yeah. now he's 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 struggling with the way yeah. to bring it back to say, yeah, here's what the realistic expectation exactly. needs to be. Yeah. I'm getting older. I can't do this anymore. Yeah. The shop is profitable because of Brian. Yeah. The shop is profitable because the man's working his ass off and he's working 90 hours a week. And he's he's literally coming in at 5 and 6 in the morning. And he's staying till 6 and 7 at night. And he's working Saturdays and he's working Sundays. And he's just trying to keep the shop moving. And they've got all of these techs with their, all the other Does techs. Does he are, have a family? Oh, yeah. All the other techs are GS techs. He's not going to have a family. Exactly. Not long like that, right? And I'm so sorry. he... You know, he, he's working his tail off, and it's because he cares about the owner. This owner is his friend. This owner is somebody that's important to him. This owner is somebody that he loves dearly, right? And and this owner doesn't realize what he's doing, right? The owner is is oblivious to it. And, and so Brian goes and talks to him. He says, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work on this. I'm going to make this better. I'm going to do this. And then slowly what happens, he drips back off because there's no accountability. Yeah. And and so he and, – and what I've tried to explain to Brian is, is you can't be the coach – Right, you you can't be the educator of the shop owner because you've got a job to do. Yeah. Right, and so because the profitability is built on your back, if he's going to change, you've got to get him resources. You've got to get him help. And I said, I I've never thought about it from this direction before. And he said, What do you mean? I said, I've never thought about the tech having to teach the owner or give the owner the information so the owner can improve. I've I've always thought about it the other way: is that the owner goes on this quest for improvement and quest for. Uh, Whatever you want to call it, you know right? I, I don't. I won't use his name just because I don't know the the whole story and where the story lands right now. But there's a prominent automotive technician in our circles, um, who I remember years ago was going through that with the shop he was working at. I remember some of his posts and his rants. Yeah. Um, and you know, now that you're talking about it, I bet you if, if we follow these forums, we're going to find dozens of, of yeah. the technicians are the backbone of a shop. Absolutely. Which then. Oh my goodness! I'm going to be really inappropriate here. Tell me what kind of a lazy bum is the owner? Yeah, or what kind of a chicken? It's, it's, like, I don't even know that it's that. You know what I think it is? I, I, I think there's I think there's two potentials. I think the first potential is is it's unconscious incompetence. They don't know, and they're just true, trying to survive. True. Okay. Yeah. So in this case, I think the guy's just trying to survive. He's a service advisor, and he's working the same hours. Right, he he's in here and he's running the telephones and they're running an insanely high car count. They're below an hour per RO. They're I mean they're killing themselves, 
right? They're killing themselves, and they're not making any money, yeah. right? So what do they have to do? What's the solution? What's everybody that you talk to say? I need more cars. I need more cars. I need more cars. I need more cars, <laughs> right? And, and what happens? It consumes more and more and more time, yeah. and so the profitability per job goes down. Yeah. It, it's, it's a simple math equation. There's no way around it. And so that's one option. The other option is you're exactly right. What a lazy bump, right? Because if it could be right. done better, even if it's not necessarily um, in a altruistic way, right, that it's yeah. for serving the technician, it could be done better. It could be done more profitably. It yeah. could take stress off the shop. You'd be a fool not to do it, right? So there's Murray you, you're going against Warren Buffett's advice in a podcast. <laughs> Came on called the shop owner lazy. When I think you're right. Asked a lot, asked a lot more questions. You realize the shop owner is a full time tech or a full time advisor in the business and is not a, not an owner. Exactly. Right. So I jumped. I jumped to some people. I think that I've got people in my life that got hurt that way. Yeah. Like your Brian friend, right? Yeah. So I think I jumped to that conclusion. So I apologize for that. No, I, but, I think you're right. But I, I think and, and and here's the other thing is is you think about you jump into that conclusion as many owners you know. What do you think the conclusion the technician goes to is? Exactly right. Yeah. We, we've got to paint a different picture. We have a responsibility. So, so you know what? This industry has a shortage of that? competent shop owners. I agree. Just because you your name is on the building or your name is on the LLC yep. doesn't actually mean you're a business owner. Absolutely. Right? So these are people that have decided on a business. Because I almost so let's talk about there's the ones that are are trying their best and working the same hours as their employees. They're not making any money. We got that whole set. Yeah. But then let's talk about the guys that open it up and they build the whole business on their employees' back. And they come and go as they please. They go golf, but they don't have any interaction. They're not watching the numbers, that kind of thing. Right. right. That's for whatever reason. That's my bias. Right. I have a bias that direction of, of seeing that kind of stuff happening. Right. So those are the people that you're not going to get through. Right. They they're doing okay. They're making money, whatever. They sure now now they're probably the ones that could be the hurt most now with right. the shortage of actual mm-hmm. competent people. Um, but it's those other ones I think that my heart breaks for. This, yeah. this Brian's boss. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Because the guy's giving it his all. Mine did too. I cannot believe it. Hey, you get listen, I can you turn on my, you got like my taste in music? Absolutely. And listen, I can turn on the Bluetooth and we'll talk to him. Uh, we'll put them on the show. It'll be great. <laughs> Murray, so, how can they get in touch with you? Murray Voth at rpmtraining.net. Okay. Uh, or www.rpmtraining.net website. There's a contact form there. They can get awesome. hold of me there. Uh, love to chat, talk, resource. Cool. You know, if I can help, great. If, if I'm not a good fit, I can point them in the direction of other coaches. And Awesome. Love to serve this industry. Thank you so much yeah. for being here, brother. All right. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the ASOG podcast. Before I let you go, I need to ask you a question. Are you using the best innovative shop management system in the country? If you doubt that you are, why are you making your life harder? Shopware stays one step ahead of everyone else by bringing a clean, easy-to-use program unlike anything else on the market. Go to GetShopware.com and see what I mean today. That's GetShopware.com. Check it out. Thank you for listening to the Changing the Industry podcast. If you enjoyed the show, do us a favor and leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. And don't forget to set it to automatically download the latest episode. Our efforts with this podcast, the YouTube channel, and the Facebook group wouldn't be possible without the support of our awesome sponsors. So please take a moment, check them out by clicking on the links in the show notes.